What's up, punks? It has been a little while since I did my last vlog. As some of you may know or not, I ran into some trouble filming at my local casino after another popular vlogger did a vlog from there and didn't quite follow the rules that the casino had laid out for the people who had been vlogging there before. Gaming Control got some complaints about their vlog and they came into the casino and they shut down all activity with phones at the table for a couple months, essentially, making it impossible to vlog. I think the casino got in a little bit of trouble for it and the vlog kind of fizzled out. I am still hopeful that someday we'll be able to get back to filming at the table. A little bit more on that in a bit. But in the meantime, I've been thinking about it a lot and trying to figure out what else I could do in the space to be creative and in the poker community. And so I've decided to dun, da, 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 make a podcast out of it. And instead of it being a typical vlog where it's just here's the hand, here's what happened, what I'm looking to do is something uh, a little bit more in depth with each hand, uh, not quite as many hands per episode, but do a little bit more of a deep dive into the thinking behind the hand, behind the actions in the hand, and the outcomes of the hand. And I'm going to do this both as a podcast and put these up on YouTube with the visuals because some people would prefer seeing the visuals as we go along. With that, I'm also focusing strictly on low limit games. Your one twos, one threes, two fives, nothing bigger than that. Uh, the reason for that is I think there's a lot of great resources out there that do the gamut from low stakes to high stakes games, but a lot of the thinking behind a lot of that information kind of transcends some of the lower limit games. There's a particular person that I study from and learn a lot from who does a lot of great content, but a lot of the times when it's a low limit hand, their thinking has a lot to do with higher limit situations where you're going to have a more sophisticated player type. And sometimes I think that their advice kind of doesn't translate well to the lower limits. So I'm trying to stick to what I know, lower limit games, and try and grow as a player myself, but also help you grow as a player as well. With that, the way that I want to do this podcast is to make it as interactive as possible. So what I'm planning on doing is soliciting requests from you, anyone listening, for hand submissions. And what I plan to do is go over one or two of my own hands from sessions that I've played and also to go over a hand that is submitted from a listener. What I plan to do is if you go to pokerpunks.com, there's a submission form there and you can put in all the pertinent information for the hand and I will select ones each episode to go over. And if your hand happens to get selected, what I plan on doing is a little thank you gift of appreciation. Anyone whose hand that I use as a submission, I will send you a PokerPunks card protector, which you can see on PokerPunks.com. That way, there's a little bit of something for you for taking the time out to help me out and to show my appreciation. Second item that is on the website is I have a petition there, which is for me to try and take to the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board and show them 
that vlogging is a net positive for the poker community and to try and get some traction on changing their mind about vlogging in Pennsylvania casinos. There's several really good card rooms here in Pennsylvania and I think that if we can get enough signatures on that and I can go to a gaming control board meeting, I think that I'll be able to convince them that vlogging is helping the poker community far more than any kind of perceived damage it could be doing. With that, now let's get into some hands. Welcome to episode one of the podcast. These two hands are from a session I played recently down at the Borgata in Atlantic City. The players in this session were all complete unknowns to me. Borgata is not my local room. I play there occasionally a couple times a year whenever I'm in Atlantic City. I generally play at parks outside Philadelphia. So the players at Borgata, total unknowns to me. As the session went on, I realized that the villain in both of these hands had a VPIP of nearly 90%, and it was shocking to me whenever he did fold a hand pre-flop. Anyway, for hand number one, we're in the big blind, and we are dealt ace of hearts, eight of hearts. Under the gun plus one, the button, and the small blind all limp, and I decided to check my option here since I have no read on the table yet. This was my first mistake. I think any suited ace here strong enough to squeeze and under most circumstances will pick up the dead money. From what I learned in this session went on, it probably wouldn't have worked here because the maniac would likely have called, but I should still be making this raise preflop as my hand is definitely strong enough to put the squeeze on uh, a couple limpers, especially in a 1-2 game. And to be honest, if I make it 15 maybe $20, I'd probably just pick up the dead money. But we don't. We go to a flop, which turns out to be what I think is a fairly good flop for me as it comes ace of spades, jack of diamonds, five of spades. With top pair, I see no reason not to fast play my hand here as it's likely the best. And it's very likely that someone should have raised preflop if they had a better ace. I lead out for $10 into a pot of $8 after the small blind checks to me. When pots are small, uh, a pot size or an over pot size bet like this is really irrelevant due to the fact that it's really the absolute value of the bet that matters, not as much the percentage of the pot. Now, if the pot were $100 and I bet $100, that's a much more significant uh, percentage of the pot and an actual dollar amount. But when pots are small, a bet of $10 into $8, no one's going to bat an eye. They're going to call whether it's a 100% pot bet or a 50% pot bet here. The under the gun plus one player flat calls, but to my surprise, the button ends up raising to $25. This folds out the small blind and the action's on us. To me, this raise looks very weak as it's only one and a half times the size of my bet and I call. 
Uh, I don't put the button on too strong a hand, but I do have to at least give some respect to the under the gun one player who called with a player left to act behind them. I don't have to assume that they have a better hand than me, but I also wouldn't want to get raised here if they happen to have some kind of two pair combo that they didn't want to raise yet because of the flush draw out there. A lot of players at small stakes will be afraid of monsters under the bed, especially when it's a flush board like this. So instead of re-raising, I just call the under the gun plus one player who is behind me comes along too. The turn card is a two of diamonds. This shouldn't change anything specifically as the board is now ace of spades, jack of diamonds, five of spades, two of diamonds. It does complete the three, four straight, but I really don't put a lot of emphasis on that exact combo unless it is exactly three of spades, four of spades. It's very unlikely that someone's going to limp with three, four offsuit. It could happen in this type of game because low limit players get silly. They get favorite hands. Maybe they're 34 or their birthday is March 4th and they like playing 3-4, but we can't be afraid of someone who's playing that wide of a range. But since we were raised on the flop, we check along with the under the gun plus one player to the button who then checks behind. To me, this could be one of two things. It could be that they did make their straight and they're waiting to get a clean river and to spring a trap. Or it could be that the button was bluff raising and really doesn't have that strong hand, which is kind of what I was thinking. I was expecting them to bet this turn card and I was going to call no matter what. But when they check behind, it makes me think that maybe they don't have a good hand and that they're just giving up after they get called in two places. When the two of clubs hits the river, I feel like this is a 100% bet situation. The final board is ace of spades, jack of diamonds, five of spades, two of diamonds, two of clubs. So most of the time I would expect my bet to either get two folds or maybe get a crying call from a uh, weaker ace or possibly from a, a five or some other middling pocket pair. For this reason, I decide to size up my bet because if they have something, they're likely to call. If they have nothing, they're going to fold no matter what the bet size is. So I laid out for $45. As expected, the under the gun plus one player folds, but when action gets around to the button, he decides to rip it all in for a total of $106. To me, this strikes me as super odd since the 3-4 straight is no longer the nuts and most players at this level would not rip in without the nuts. On the other hand, the spade draw bricks out, leaving someone holding spades with no other option than the bluff if they want to take down this pot. The check on the turn coupled with the small... Uh, weak looking flop raise and the fact that it's only $61 to win a pot of 234, meaning I only have to be right about 20% of the time, really just influences me to ultimately make the call. Unfortunately, I am shown the bad news when the villain shows me the two, three of hearts for runner, runner trips. He raised a gut shot on the flop 
and got the perfect runout to get paid here. And I put a little note in my head for later use that this player is extremely wide and a little bit spewy. In the second hand, we get involved with the same villain who was the villain in the last hand. At this point, he's run his stack up to about $350. We are on the button and we are dealt King of Spades, King of Hearts. A player in middle position limps and we make it $20 to go. Since most of my raises have been getting called all night, I start sizing up to take advantage of the table's weak play. The big blind calls and the limper calls creating a pot of $61. The flop comes off ace of spades, ace of clubs, four of spades. Not necessarily the best flop for us as we are obviously losing to any ace now, but having two aces on the flop lessens the chance that one of our opponents has an ace. With this in mind, when both players check to me, I continue for $25, just a tad bit over one third of the pot and a little bit bigger than my pre-flop raise. The big blind, who is the villain from the last hand, continues, but the middle position player folds. With a pot of $111, we see the 10 of diamonds on the turn. This really shouldn't change anything unless he specifically has pocket tens. And when the big blind checks to us again, I again continue for a small size with a lot of my range here, and I make it $35. In hindsight, I really like a bet of $75 to $90 more, as we will likely get calls from a lot of under pairs we are beating, and we may not be able to get a third street of value with our particular hand if the river card is not a favorable one. The big blind is not scared off from our small turn bet and calls again. Now with $181 in the pot, we see the Ace of Hearts on the river. This is actually a great card for us as we're only losing to the Case Ace here, and it's a great spot to bet fold for value if we happen to get raised. Once the big blind checks to me, I most likely rule out him having any Ace-X hand here because he is definitely the type of player who, if he had made quads, is gonna bet it especially out of position because he is going to want to get a call from any other pair out there. So when the action's on me, I decide that I can go on the bigger side and still get called by worse hands. I size up to $125, roughly half his remaining stack with the confidence that I'm only being raised by the case ace. And if he raises, I can just fold and move along. But I think that I can get a lot of calls out of him with pairs like queens through eights. And that's exactly what we find when a few seconds later, he reluctantly puts in the call and turns over jack of hearts, jack of spades for the second best hand. I may have been able to get his whole stack here if I would have gone for it. My one concern with this player was since he was such a maniac and such a spaz, him having an ace-x is definitely in range. And I felt that hedging my bet here by going half stack, if he shoves, I can fold and save about $125. It's a so-so play. In hindsight, kind of like a shove better because I think he's still going to call off. 
but hindsight does not always equal winning poker. Sometimes you have to hedge when you don't have a clear read on your opponent. Thank you for checking out episode one of the Poker Punks podcast. For this session, it ended up not being a great session for me as the poker gods were not with me in this session. And as much as I was trying to put pressure on the table, I really just could not outlast the constant call downs and rundowns on this night. It ended up being a losing night for me, but it was definitely a good experience to get in the mind a little bit more of weaker players and try to figure out some of their thought processes, even when they're not sure of their own thought processes. That's exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast is break down the thoughts and actions of lower limit players so that we can max exploit them and get max value. Anyway, if you want to find out more about what I'm going to be doing on the podcast, or if you want to submit one of your own hands that would be featured on the podcast, please go to pokerpunks.com and you can find the pertinent information there. And until next time, run it up the punks.